Are you a CrossFit coach or maybe a box owner looking to learn more about nutrition? You want to help support the athletes that come to your box, maybe have some one-on-one clients. And we all know nutrition is the foundation. We all talk about the theoretical hierarchy of the development of an athlete. And nutrition is at the base. It's like building a house. You can't build the attic first. You can't worry about performance and sport without working on the foundation. And that's what nutrition is. So maybe you're a coach, maybe you're a box owner, maybe you're just an athlete looking to potentially earn a little more income, develop a new income stream as a nutrition coach. Well, you could check out the Own Your Eating Certificate course. We review fundamental nutrition principles, as well as teaching you how to implement flexible eating, that's macro counting, and assist others with their tracking of macros. The cool thing about it is you're going to learn so much for yourself. Even if you didn't want to coach anyone else, but you simply wanted to learn more about tracking macros, you will get so much out of this course. It'll be the last thing you ever have to read, study, purchase, because you're going to get so much information. As well as sharing nutrition experience with you, Own Your Eating will also teach you how to coach others so that you can really make a difference with the people in your community and your lives. Maybe you need to finally get your mom to track macros. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe you you put on the quarantine 15 and you're looking to just lose a few LBs, a few pounds yourself. This will teach you all of that. And the cool thing about macros, the cool thing about the way in which we at On Your Eating teach you is it's really sustainable. The business setup and marketing strategies are also included. So if you do really want to make this a side deal or a side hustle, You'll, you'll have all the tools you'll ever need to do. And in addition to that, if you're a level three CrossFit coach, you can earn CEUs to help you revalidate. And we also give CEUs for NASM as well as AFA. So you can check that out. For me, every few years, I need to re-up my L4, you know, no big deal, L4 coach, but this will help you do it. So If you're interested in learning more about the Own Your Eating Certificate course, you can go to courses.ownyoureating.com. Or if you just go to ownyoureating.com, right up in the header there, it says become a coach. You can click on that. And with the code BESTHOUR, that's B-E-S-T-H-O-U-R, BESTHOUR, you'll get 15% off. Go check it out now. I was the one, along with Roz, who helped put this all together. So... I really understand that if you have questions for me about it, of course, you can reach out, but I really believe in it. I've put hundreds of people through this course. It's the way I learned how to track macros. It's the way I've been tracking macros for over five years, and I think you will absolutely love it. So go check it out again, courses.ownyoureating.com, and use that code BESTHOUR for 15% off. Welcome back to another episode of Best Hour of Their Day. I have something very special planned for you over the coming weeks. I'm sure you're aware, but I wrote a book, no big deal, called Best Hour of Their Day. Maybe you've read it. Maybe you've heard of it. Maybe you're going to order it. It's available on Amazon as well as my own personal website, thejasonackerman.com, and the Best Hour of Their Day website as well. But after writing the book, I thought, how cool would it be to have an audiobook as well? So that's what we did. We now have an audio version of Best Hour of Their Day, and it's available on audible.com. I'll put the links 
on where to order the paperback, where to order the ebook, and of course, where to order the audiobook. But I decided to do something special when recorded the audiobook. I decided to take a deeper dive into each chapter. So if you've read the book, there's 30 chapters. And in each one of those chapters, I provide a story, a true story from my ownership of three affiliates, from my time on the seminar staff, from my time judging the CrossFit Games, and from my time running the regionals in the Northeast. And I took a deeper dive into each chapter. I was interviewed. And in those chapters, we go further along into more stories, more lessons. And of course, if you're listening, more advice. Nothing I did came without tons and tons of failure. Because of that failure, I really believe that's why ultimately I became successful. And I think it's important for all of you to hear that. So each chapter has another 30, 45, 60 minute discussion on what went down during that time in my life. So if you're interested in that, I highly recommend you check it out. But what I'm going to do, because I love giving back to this community, is once a week, put one of those discussions here on the podcast, best hour of their day. So you can listen to it absolutely free. If you love it, do me a favor, go check out the audiobook. maybe give it a download. If you don't like it, just listen to it and move on. And you can also, of course, always leave us a review over at Apple Podcasts. That really helps when you leave us a five-star glowing review about this podcast. Of course, if you have questions for me about the book, if you have questions for me about box ownership, if you have questions for me about anything in life, I'll do my best to answer them. You can email me directly, day at gmail.com. But I really hope you enjoy it. I was interviewed by James McDermott, a former coach of mine, longtime friend now, and it really was a interesting, fascinating, and really humbling experience to go back and look at all these chapters and look at all these stories. I hope you enjoy. Without further ado, here you go, the next chapter of Best Hour of Their Day. All right, Jay, today we're talking about Chapter 5, Simple, Complex, Simple. Reminds me of that famous quote from The Office, keep it simple, stupid. It hurts my feelings every time. Uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, there's countless office quotes we could have used in every chapter of the book. I really, in retrospect, I was the Michael Scott of Albany you, you CrossFit. Were. You were. Uh, I, that, that also reminds me of that episode, one of my favorite episodes, where, uh, where Stanley had his heart attack during the fire safety. <laughs> yeah. And then they brought in the, you know, the mannequins and the, the CPR instructor, and they had a little stress thing. <laughs> that he wore and whenever he got close to one of them the little stress beeper went off just his presence being cl physically closer to them stressed them out and i can say there were probably definitely times at all the way across it where you know the, there's maybe a day where you didn't come in and everyone was like really like chilled and like like a little more less on the on the edge that day huh that's not a good thing but but yeah yes i could i think anytime the boss takes a day off the, the employees are like all right there's a little less there's a little less concern today yeah I, th I think it's a nor it's a normal thing it's a normal reaction it's, it's definitely a, a normal phenomenon to be stressed out a little bit by your boss when they're around especially you know if things are going on in the office or at the gym so let's dive right into this right off the bat very first sentence you open up with in this chapter the best athletes in the world make the worst coaches 
And you went on to explain a little bit more about that, and we'll get into Matt. But I just want to just want to dive in deeper into just that one sentence there. Uh, first, have you met some really really good athletes that are also good coaches naturally, and and who are they? Yeah, I mean that statement's a bit um, black and white, but yeah, I, I I have met many good athletes. So off the top of my head, you have the Austin Maliolos, James Hobarts. Connor Murphy, Spencer Hendels, you know, all these people that have been to the CrossFit Games as athletes, but are also phenomenal coaches, part of the CrossFit seminar staff. And there's way more. I'm, I'm skipping quite a few. I, I didn't name any women, but I'm sure there are, you know, plenty out there. And I guess maybe what I could have said better is the worst athletes make the best coaches. So it's not so much that being a bad athlete means you're going to be a terrible coach. But if you're a bad athlete and you enjoy coaching, I think you'll be a little bit better at it. And we'll talk about it, I'm sure. But it's really, you have to struggle through it and you understand that struggle. And that's really what this chapter was all about. Kind of makes you wonder with some of those athletes that you just mentioned, like let's say Austin, which, which came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, Were you a good athlete and then you developed into also a good coach without having maybe to go through all of the struggles let's say that you did on not having some natural crossfit ability or were you someone who had to struggle a little bit you just turned into a good athlete but you also at the same time became a good coach yeah i think austin's a great example if you want to talk about him i don't think he's naturally super athletic and i think he would admit that i mean all you have to do is watch him dance to realize he's not very coordinated (laughs) but you know, he's someone that's worked extremely hard. And I think, you know, so there's a difference, like you're saying, there's the natural athletes, Connor Murphy, for those that don't know him, phenomenal dancer. And, and I, and I'm using that one little sport, I suppose, but it's really a correlate to to how you, well, you are coordinated and how well you can control your body. Um, And, and also how good you are at other sports. Austin, found CrossFit, excels at CrossFit. But when I've played other sports with him, he's not great. Where, where people like James Hobart and Spencer Hendel and, you know, those are guys that are on staff. But you look at some of the best of the best, the Frasers, who was an Olympic lifter, you know, the, the Tias who, who goes to the Olympics. Those are the people that are just naturally gifted athletes. Yeah, like Austin, yeah, just to stay on him, he's naturally gifted when it definitely comes to deadlifting when you have knuckles that go down past your knees, it kind of helps a little bit. Correct. But, but more importantly for him, it's that he is so stubborn and is so hardworking that he could have been the least natural athlete on this planet. And he still would have made the CrossFit games. Definitely. Right. So, so agree. So, and I think because of that, he understands it and it helps him become a better coach. Now, people who are better athletes and have a certain look about them, let's say your top tier CrossFit games athletes, uh, I feel like, and you, maybe you disagree them walking into a gym to do a seminar or to coach or something like that. They just have a natural automatic buy-in from athletes because everyone wants to be like them. So just because of their ability and maybe a little bit of the way they look, they have that immediate buy-in, but they may not be capable of actually coaching and getting someone from point A to point B. Uh, at least not without a whole lot of maybe uh, headbutting along the way. So what is something that athletes or coaches, excuse me, coaches who don't have the look or are not the great, a- greatest athletes 
can do to get that buy-in right off the bat. Yeah, that's tough. That's a really hard part about CrossFit, right? So in, in similar to that scenario, it's like I was on seminar staff very early on, and there were many weekends where I was working alongside five games athletes. You know, maybe not five, but three or four. And, you know, I, I worked weekends with Austin James, Spencer, um, Camille, you know, other, other games athletes. And it is hard for someone like me to be like, hey, I know this stuff too. But you're right. Just, you know, when someone's been there, it's, it's a lot easier. I mean, Rich Froning sells out regular seminars, not because of his coaching skills, but because of his physical accomplishments. And I'm sure other top athletes can do the same. And you see it in all sports out there. Yeah. But I think for the average person, and that's probably the person listening to this, the, the tip I would give them is you have to just lead by example. And that means you don't have to be the best. And it, here's a great example, right? Murph. Let's take Murph. And for those that don't know Murph, we'll talk about him in later chapters. But longtime coach at Albany CrossFit, when he started, you know, obese, to say that, you know, to put it nicely. And he became a, one of the well most well-liked and most sought-after coaches at Albany CrossFit. And it certainly wasn't because of his athletic prowess. It was just because he had a, a knack for getting along with people. He was fun to get along with. And at the time, at least, he was working really hard on his own fitness. So I tell that to people all the time. Hey, you don't have a muscle-up? That's fine. Are you working the progression? You don't have a beautiful squat? That's fine. Are you the coach in the corner doing squat therapy? And if you're doing that stuff, your members will follow it. And just like we talked about, uh, you know, in the past with some other athletes, even I felt that way with Kevin Seaman, for example, who we've brought up in the past where he was a great athlete. He was able to move more than I could on any movement, but he always trusted what I would tell him because he knew that I've studied this and he knew that I put the effort in to improve my own performance. Yeah. And I would even say, don't hide it either. Like, if you're working on your own ability, your own nutrition, fitness, all that stuff as a coach, put it out there for your members to see that you're just like them and you're going through the same experiences. You know, maybe you burned your broccoli, post a picture of it in the private group. You know, before class, if you hit the workout earlier, talk about how you scaled and what you experienced in the workout and what you wanted to do to be better for next time. I think it's good to relay your own experiences. I know sometimes in the past when, let's say when I was trying to work on double unders, I would just work on it privately and no one, no one knows. So they don't know you're in the trenches with them when you're doing things off hours on your own. Yeah. And that's, that's a great point. And, and furthermore, just remind people, you know, I go to jujitsu and one of the professors here, a badass black belt, you know, talks all the time in between our roles, you know, you're going to want to quit. And I used to want to quit. Like when I was a white belt, when I was a blue belt, I quit all the time. And it's important for the white belts and the blue belts to hear that because they need to realize, hey, this is normal. Like I'm, I'm not supposed to be able to do muscle ups on day one, and I'm not supposed to have a sub three minute friend on day one. It's okay, not, neither did my coach, but through hard work, I can get there. 100%, it's good to, to show the full perspective. Now, in the early days of Albany CrossFit though, this wasn't maybe always, always the case, uh, and we can dive right into Matt now. So Matt was a pretty fit guy, freak athlete, did Fran 240 first so, time just walking into the gym. Let's talk about Matt. Okay, so Matt shows up at Albany CrossFit fully like in a suit, I would say. And, you know, in, in a, like, a, um, like a dress suit, like he went to a real job. 
and he shows up one day and he was um he knew like Nina and Aaron you remember them oh yeah you know like the, the 330 teacher crew cuz he was a trainer at local globo gyms and good looking dude like these these women were like oh that's here you know <laughs> you know so but the but the first day he walks in like we just clicked a little bit he was a bodybuilder i think he showed me some pictures of him on stage so we kind of had that connection and you know i tested him and i was like hey why don't you try Fran? And he had done a little bit of CrossFit at the Gold's Gym, but never, you know, this was his first exposure to a real CrossFit gym. So he changes and he does Fran and goes like unbroken through the 21s. Meanwhile, I'm like, I'm trying to destroy this guy. And you, I couldn't help but get like, wow, that was unbroken. And it wasn't as if I taught him. He just literally jumped on the pull-up bar and started kipping pull-ups because he, he saw somebody on CrossFit doing it. That's impressive. You know, so he gets back to the 15s, goes unbroken again, which, you know, in 2008 was, I don't want to say it was unheard of, but it was very impressive when someone can do that. And he gets back on the pull-up <clears throat> back on the pull up bar and he goes unbroken again. And then I, meanwhile, I had been recording this and I'm like, oh my God, this is going to be a world record. Like this is, I'm going to send this into HQ. We have the fittest person in the world right here. And then he slowly faded during those nines. <laughs> but still, like I said, I think it was still about 240. You know, we were chasing like the close to two-minute friend at the time. I think Chris Spieler put it up at one point. So we were getting there. And we recorded, you know, really excited about it. And then if you've ever been to Albany CrossFit, especially back in the day, there was, you know, a separate room and then just the hallway. You know, the hallway, which is where all the racquetball courts lead off of. He literally walks out the room and just laid in the hallway for about, I would say, if I was really trying to be honest about it, two hours. So a three-minute workout. Many of us can relate to that, the, uh, the Fran fetal position. Yeah, and people would just be walking by like, who's this guy passed out on the ground? But after that, he started showing up every day and just doing classes and eventually asking me if he can help out with classes. And he was my first coach. And you know, and to show kind of my evolution as a box owner, Donna, you know, who we've talked about in the past, you know, 70 years old, Donna, she goes, you better be careful. You, the members are going to start to like him more than you. <laughs> and, you know, so this is like, I didn't have anybody else. And it took me off, you know, guard. And I was surprised by that. And at first I was like, wait a minute, I don't want that. And it made me a little bit jealous. And then I stopped for a second and I said, wait, that's great. Because if they like him, I don't have to be here as much. And that was kind of my first, you know, glimpse into what it would be like to be a boss and own a real business to think to myself, hey, I can let, I can let him run classes and I can go home early some nights or I can, you know, catch up on other business. It was really cool to hear that. Donna definitely knows how to play the mind games. <laughs> oh, she's the worst. Yeah. Nice. She's like the, the quintessential Jewish grandma. <laughs> definitely. And she's still going strong at the gym. I still have her at least once a week uh, in one of my classes. So, you know, and one thing we've not said about Donna, by the way, who's in her, she's got to be, like we said, close to 80. Yeah. She's got a metal rod in her back. Yeah, she does. She has a 12 inch metal rod in her back. So it really inhibits her ability to flex or extend. Yet she's still been doing. I remember the first time she deadlifted 155 pounds 
I think it's on video again. We, we always refer to, you know, go to the Albany CrossFit YouTube, but it's on there and it's like pretty impressive. Yeah. She's done all kinds of things like holding a ring support unassisted for like 15 seconds, which is hard for many people, let alone being in your seventies. So she's super strong and it's just because she's kept up with it throughout the years. And it's no surprise that every, every time I go on social media, she's like traveling to Iceland and doing all these things. And it's like, you know, most 70 year olds could, here's the one thing that she doesn't do well. She has two Facebook profiles yeah. and I've made fun maybe of her three. about this, <laughs> maybe three, because she's just like logged herself out of one and started a new one. Or she, I remember one time she's like, all of a sudden it was in Chinese and I couldn't read it. So I started a new one. I was like, maybe you click the button, like, let me know next time. But anyway. It's, it's always funny, the social media with some of the older generations. Do you remember Joanne Scarrett? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah <laughs> she had. She had, and she, I think she has a social media account for every device she has. So like on her phone, she's got a Facebook, then she's got a different Facebook for her computer and then a different Facebook for her tablet. So it's whatever one she's on at the time, she'll comment from. Yeah. And then the best ones are when they do that and then they respond to their own comment. (laughs) Yes. Slight tangent here, but yeah. You know, I hope to be like that when I'm, when I'm of age. Hey, if I'm traveling the world and doing pull-ups at 70, but I have two social media accounts, I'll be okay. Well, it's uh, just to go back to, to that with Donna, you know, she's told me plenty of times, how, and this is a testament to CrossFit and living a healthy life, how many of her friends are, they're always miserable. They're, they're sad. They're stuck at home. They're not doing anything. They've always got aches and pains and they're sick all the time. Meanwhile, Donna can walk her dog and she doesn't have Denver anymore, but her new dog is like super energetic and crazy. And he could easily pull her over if he wanted to, but she can fight against him and walk him and being in control of that little relationship, you know, so it's, and go to Africa. So it's just very impressive. And it's something we should all strive for. Absolutely. I love it. So back to the early days here. So we have Matt, he walks in and he's just a fire breather right off the bat. Which is that even a term that people use anymore in CrossFit? Fire breather. I think it's only a term that they use now, like for older, for the veterans, like the OG fire breathers. Okay. But yeah, you don't like Greg Amundsen is one of the OG fire breathers, and you know Matt would certainly be a fire breather back in the old days of you know Albany CrossFit. But yeah, you don't really you don't hear that term anymore. That's a good yeah, point. It's it's funny how the community has changed too, and how things are like that. Well, because. So, a fire breather back then is basically a games competitor now. Yeah. Right. So it's, there, there was no way to quantify a fire breather where now there is. I think we should bring this term back. I like it. Hashtag fire breathers. So what kind of, well, did you have other experiences with just people just cause you're a new gym, new affiliate CrossFit's brand new. Of course, there's gonna be all kinds of people that want to try it and have, maybe the thought that they're going to be amazing at it. So they just walk in thinking they're going to take you guys down. Do you have any other stories from those early days where people would just roll in thinking that they were going to be hot stuff and maybe not doing as well as Matt did? Yeah. You know, there's plenty of stories of people coming in, especially the a few years later where they're like, I want to go to the CrossFit games. And especially once we got like you and me and Caleb and Kevin around, 
we, and we would typically be sitting in the upstairs area, that lounge area, having some sort of meeting and somebody would be like, Hey, I want to, I remember one guy comes in. I don't, this, he didn't last, but he was like, Hey, I want to go to the international CrossFit games. And Kevin and Caleb and I remember kind of looking at each other like, all right, let's go. <laughs> so we go downstairs and just demolish the kid and, you know, never heard back from him. Uh, so stories like that happened a few times. I remember, you know, back in the day, it was really like you were trying to appeal to the, the those people like Matt, who they would come in and like, I need to kick your ass for you to realize how good this is. Yeah. So, so I, I think you would, I would see a lot of that. I remember one of my buddies from college came in and he was in the military fit dude. And we put him through Fran on day one and you know, so we did it such a bad way. We started doing progressive scaling, meaning we were dropping the weight. We were taking him to bands, to jumping. But I mean, we were basically the perfect recipe for rhabdo. We were giving yeah. him. And, you know, he didn't get rhabdo, luckily. But it was like you needed to kick someone's ass for them to be like, oh, shit, I need this. You know, there were two types of people like, that was terrible. Give me more. That was terrible. I never want to come back here again. And we were looking for those people at the time. You know, where now we realize hey, that's not the most, you know, efficient way to expose someone to CrossFit. But, but at the time there was, I mean, that was happening, I would say almost daily, almost every day, someone would be coming in and getting their butt kicked. And a hand, handful would stay, like some that stick out to me, Fred Gokey was a good example of someone that, you know, stuck around for an extended period of time after we, you know, he was a fighter, firefighter. There's a great video of him doing Fran on air. Um, and we you know, kicked his ass on day one. Another one that sticks out, remember Dr. Josh? I don't know if you were around with Dr. Josh. No, I don't know him. So at one point we had like all these residents from Albany Med and Dr. Josh, if you if you read the book about Murph, uh, Lone Survivor, he was actually one of the people that went in to, to help rescue those guys. Um, but I remember he's one of those people, like I talked about Ben the other day, who I remember my first meeting with him. Like he walked in, my height, skinny. He has cauliflower ears from being a wrestler. And I was like, oh, this dude's going to be great. And, you know, he, he, him and then his eventual wife joined. But he was the kind of guy that needed that push. And he was just – he's a phenomenal dude. I, I luckily get to run into him almost every year at the CrossFit Games and then see him and, and his wife, Angie, and their kids. But, yeah, so a lot of people had that. Most, most actually wound up sticking around. So there was probably a little bit of understanding how hard to push them. But I think the people that were finding Cross, it was a fringe, it was like a fringe gym. People that were bored of the Globo gyms, people that wanted to remind themselves of what it was like to train at high school, college level. And now was it, was that the typical go-to? Someone would walk in and be like, okay, you're going to do Fran. Cause I, I remember back in the day, the, the story was, you know, like classmen would put people through Fran. And at the level one, when I took my level one, we did Fran. I know it's different now. So there's plenty of people doing CrossFit for the first time after level ones doing Fran. And even at Albany CrossFit in our on-ramp, we, we still have people do Fran on day one. Now, of course, they don't do full Fran. You know, they don't even really do it with a barbell. It's dumbbell Fran with ring rows. And it might even be 12.96 for most people, which is, that's enough. You know, uh, even if it's uh, two 12-pound or 10-pound dumbbells and ring rows, 12.96, everyone is like, oh, that's CrossFit. That's, I, that feels like nothing else. What um. Was that the typical go-to? 
I think it was for a while. And like you said, that didn't mean we didn't scale it, but Fran was just a great, you know, the descending reps, the, the movements that really just like a thruster, most people have never done it. So it's just that full body movement. The pull-ups are great because we can go to box jumps. Then ultimately, you know, it's measurable, observable, repeatable. So it's nice to be like, Hey, here's what you did on day one, 30 days later, look at how much you've improved. You went from, you know, 65 to 75 or jumping pull-ups to regular pull-ups. So, but it, it probably wasn't always that. It was just our go-to. And, and honestly, I think a lot of the reason was because back in the day, the programming was just so random, you know, and a lot of times we probably were going longer. So the Fran was just nice because it's like in, in less than 10 minutes, I can give you a nice dose of what this is. Yeah, I do remember a lot of 5Ks and a lot of Cindy's and other longer workouts in those early days, which you can just go right back through all the way to the beginning on .com's blog and see all those workouts. They seem to repeat workouts more often than they do now as well. Yeah, I think, you know, like everything, it's evolved and even .com has gotten better at programming as, as have all of us. Now, Matt does Fran. He eventually gets up off the floor. He joins the gym. And what's the timeline before he joins the coaching staff? I want to say it was just about immediate. I don't okay. remember him. He was never a member. So he might have, you know, came in for another week or two and just hit workouts. But I remember very quickly being like, okay, I want this guy to help out. And, and, and it was a conversation. It wasn't like in the back of my mind. He was asking about it. We were talking about it. And then very quickly he started coaching and, and also attended his level one. And, and I'm assuming it was more of like, he's going to coach, but it's like a free for all versus like, like, did you sit him down and explain to him, okay, this is how I would like to do things here in my gym. You know, uh, uh, these are the progressions I want to use. Here's what's going on. Here's how the classes will flow. Did you, what kind of direction or lack, lack of direction did you give him? Yeah, absolutely not. There was no direction. It was probably like, okay, this is your class now. Do your thing. And that's and, possibly where some problems came from. Yeah, there were definitely problems in the sense that, you know, there was no control over. And it wasn't, there was nothing bad about it. I know Matt at one point got very heavily involved in kettlebells. He became like an RKC level two instructor, which wasn't an easy task to accomplish back in the day. So you know, he would do things like, hey, let's do more swings. Matt was the kind of guy that was like, more is better. So we would, we would program a workout and then Matt would throw in, you know, 100 swings at the end or abs at the end or doing, you know, he still had that global gym mentality. And I was, you know, really shifting to that CrossFit mentality. But a lot of the members appreciated what he was doing because they didn't understand, you know, constantly varied functional movements and high intensity. So there, yeah, there was none of that. And it definitely caused a little bit of a divide between us and rift, which could have been avoided had I just known better, but I, di I didn't know better at the time. I was like, what am I supposed to do? This is him. He coaches here. Yeah. You're one of the first affiliate owners and there's not really, a, there was, there's not really like, I bet at the time, like class structure put out the way it is now with the lesson planning course and showing you, okay, white, whiteboard brief, warm up, specific warm ups, the whole thing. Like now you can really take full control of a class and a program and know every step along the way versus getting just the workout off of .com and kind of being on your own. Yeah, there was no, I mean, back then it was like, hey, maybe you would throw in a Google search and try to find some cool warm ups, make up your own. Like for me, 
you rely on your past experiences. There was a lot of like wrestling style warmups where you like you run in circle, sidestep, push up, burpee, you know, grab a partner, you know, the junkyard dog warmup that Coach Bergner made famous. So you would find these warmups and use them, but yeah, there was no, hey, have a timeline, start on time. There, it, I, I remember actually with Matt one time, one of the few conversations about coaching we had, he would always, he would always run his classes long. And I was like, Matt, you got to end classes on time. Like I, whether it's I'm coaching the next class or there's no other class after you have back-to-back classes. And he was like, but who cares? They're happy. And, you know, we're giving them more. And I remember like thinking, well, that's true, but they may have to go somewhere. Yeah. You know, they, they may be taking the five o'clock class because I had to be somewhere at 615. And, and there was just more of that mentality. There was very little organization involved in every class. And it was probably definitely easier to get away with that in 2007, 2008 times. I, I feel I've definitely changed. What, what advice do you have for the affiliate owners listening on maybe bringing someone new onto the coaching staff? Cause I don't, I don't think, I think gone are the days where you could do what you did. Someone walks into your gym, they're amazing. And you're like, Hey, join this coaching staff right now. Join our community right now. Yeah. I think most boxes will tell you they only hire from within, which is, which is great in theory, but at the same time, I, I wouldn't make it completely black and white. I wouldn't make it one or the other. I think that's ideal. But at the same time, you know, I moved around the country and, and was welcomed into many boxes as a coach because of my credentials. But, you know, there is that, hey, this has to fit our vibe and this has to fit your culture. You, you know, I remember another great example when Austin started coaching for us after his, so this is 2010, Austin just went to the games moved to Albany, started coaching for us. And I remember his very first class. I don't remember the workout, but I remember there were thrusters involved and he was teaching people how you have to pull down on the bar to go faster and then drive them. And, and, and Caleb was there and he and I were like, this is not right. Like he's right about what he's teaching, but these guys don't need that. They need, you know, how do I move better? Not how do I go faster? You know, and, and that was simply just a matter of understanding the culture. That's not that he wasn't a great coach and he ultimately assimilated well but you know hiring from within is great but be ready to hire from outside and just be ready to make sure they are exposed to your culture and you know that means probably watching a few classes providing feedback and and making sure it's a good fit and and you probably did that with austin more so than with matt what who let's talk about the early coaches at albany crossfit you had matt was number one who who came on after that so Matt was early on. The the girl I was dating at the time, she wound up coaching quite a bit. Um, this girl, Jess, who was one of my clients, became very involved in CrossFit and very fit, and she started coaching. Um, we had this guy, Luke, who I've not heard from in 10 years. Who just I didn't kinda, know about Luke, yep. <laughs> Luke was one of my first members. And, and again, it was very casual. It was like, hey, I can't be around. Can you coach? I, w- I was traveling a lot for seminars specialty seminars just attending them all over attending what I could and like Friday nights would often be like hey Jess can you watch this class or Luke can you watch the Saturday morning class those were the early ones and then Viv was a very early coach and then Jess who we spoke about previously so those are probably like the first six or seven coaches and that's realistically that was like a a year into it but they would all and it was when I say coaches I use that term lightly in the sense that they all did get their level one 
uh, not necessarily when they first started coaching, but in time, but it was very casual. Like, Hey, hop in this class, coach that class. We didn't have a set schedule for, for a little, for a little while. And then eventually Brett came on, Kevin oh, yeah. came on, Caleb. Yeah. I should have mentioned Brett as well. Brett, Brett was actually there on just about day one in that 5:45 AM slot. And I, I probably forgot to mention Brett and we'll talk about him in a later chapter because he, he like lived on an Island. You know, the 5:45 AM class was its own thing, which we'll talk about, but yeah, he and I, we would go months without seeing each other. Wow. Yeah. I don't imagine you were, you were getting to the five thirty five forty five AM classes that often. I would honestly say, I don't think I made it once in my entire box ownership at Albany CrossFit. Really? Not I, once. I don't, I'm not bragging about it. I don't think that's a good thing, but I, but I think that very well may be true. It's very possible. Now, um, so to continue talking about uh, just bringing on a new coach in the context of Simple Complex Simple, how can we apply Simple Complex Simple to bringing on a new coach if you're an affiliate owner? Well, that's a good one. So, you know, there's a whole lot of complexity. Like the whole point of Simple Complex Simple is, the most complex things look simple when they're done well. And in order to do them well, so let's take coaching, there's a whole lot of complexity to get there. So we refer to it as the near side of complexity and the far side of complexity. So the far side of complexity is like a level four coach leading a 20 person class through a workout and it just looks easy. But they battle through all that complexity. They learn, they studied, you know, they've coached thousands upon thousands of hours. So to the lay person, they're like, that looks easy. And I think that's why, you know, same thing with the CrossFit games. Hey, that looks easy. They're just moving weight and running. I can do that. Where there's a whole lot of complexity involved in getting there. So same, same holds true with, with starting a coaching staff. You know, it might appear easy to, to look at someone like, you know, Ben Bergeron, who might have 20 great coaches on the staff, but there was probably like I had a lot of headaches and a lot of headbutting and a lot of mistakes that he made to get there. So in order to avoid that, you just have to do some of the things right from the get-go, which is explain the culture, you know, make sure you're giving specific instructions. I think that's one of the biggest things. I would probably have an employee contract where it's like, hey, you show up 15 minutes after class, I'm sorry, 15 minutes before class, and you check in with everybody. You stay for 15 minutes after class, and you check in with them again. So just making sure that they know exactly what their expectations are. That's how you make it look easy. Perfect. I, I know like from a coaching standpoint, sometimes, you know, like people will think that it's easy what we're doing, you know, looking in or just being in class uh, until maybe you challenge them. Okay, well do the whiteboard brief. Tell, tell, tell this class, tell your class what we're doing today. And then they stumble and fall. I remember during our, our internship course, when we practiced briefing at the whiteboard, and I put them all in front of the, the TV with Wattify. They're like, I, this is way harder than I thought it would be. You know, what do I do? What do I do with my hands? Yeah. You're <laughs> just standing there like, yeah. uh, right. And it, and it, and that's a great example. Like if you're a good coach and you provide an excellent whiteboard brief, it's something you take for granted. You're on the far side of complexity. You've battled through it. You, you've done those ones where you stutter. You've done those ones where you weren't sure what the intended stimulus was. You've done those ones where, Marie Marie asked you for the hundredth time what a thruster is, right? So 
Yeah. And, and then you throw somebody up there and you're like, wow, I forget how hard this was. Yeah. And, and now, that's um, really. No, okay, continue. Well, that's really what the chapter was all about, right? So we're, I'm sure you're going to ask me about it, but, you know, Matt, and, and your first question about being a, a bad athlete and a good coach is, yeah, we've battled through all of that, where the best athletes in the world don't necessarily ever have to do that battle with the complexity. Now, um, w w with that, the muscle-up situation. So, <laughs> yeah. You, well, one, you bought I, – I thought it was hilarious. You bought, you bought rings and you thought that they were defective. Oh, well, do you, you think they were defective because you couldn't do the muscle-up? You're like, oh, this doesn't work. Why aren't I getting up there? I saw Bill Henniger this past year at the CrossFit Games, the founder of Rogue, and he came up to me. He goes, did you used to be body by Jay? And I said, and I said, yeah, why? He's like, you were our second customer. Wow. He's like, I remember that email and you bought a set of rings and it was those rings. That's impressive. Yeah. So I'll, you know, that you were almost, you were his second customer and you were almost his first return. Yeah. Right. That's a good point. So I get those rings. They were the old school straps, not the nice ones with carabiners. Now put them on a cage up in the top area of the core club where, you know, the Nautilus room. And I'm just like flailing around. People are looking at me. And I, I was like, I thought this was going to be easy. You know, you just watch the Nasty Girls video with Nicole and Annie and Eva doing muscle-ups. And I couldn't do them. I take them down. And, you know, days and weeks pass. And I finally got my first muscle-up. And this is before opening the gym downstairs. So then I opened the gym downstairs. And it's a racquetball court. I'm like, where am I going to hang these rings? And... That, you know, in my mind, it's like they need to be high enough so people can hang and do a muscle up. And I actually hired some a welder. I don't know who he was now. You know, I don't remember how I found him. And he welded me basically a single station pull up bar that was really high. So, you know, you can hang the rings from. So we had one station for muscle ups. And and the the funny part of this is so he builds this major contraption. And we couldn't get it into the racquetball court because it was too big. So, because the doors, if you've ever been in a racquetball court, the doors are very small. And we couldn't get it into the door. So he actually took it home and then cut a piece of it. He cut it and then had to re-weld it back together inside the racquetball court. Was, was this the same person that built those prowlers? No, that was a different, but that was Bo who built the prowlers. I knew him. This was just some guy I found online to okay. build this to build this thing. And um and again it was like we had one set for muscle ups. And, and now oh, continue. So I so I you know I'd get my muscle ups in the upstairs room, feeling proud of myself, get this contraption built, and I'm like, all right, the cool thing at the time was to do 30 muscle ups to film it, send it into CrossFit. You know, you're always I was never quite good enough to get featured, but you're always like, okay, I can do it. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to do one at a time. This guy, Rob Miller, had recently done it. And he did one every 15 seconds. And I'm like, okay, I can do that. So I get up, do my first muscle up, come down. And I'm like, that felt good. Didn't let go of the rings right into a second muscle up. So the first time I've ever done two consecutive, like I'm sure I didn't lock out my elbows, but I do two consecutive muscle ups, hop down, shake it out. And I'm like, okay, now I'm at two. And then I go for my third and I just couldn't get one. I was done. I tried over and over and I just two, two reps consecutively wore me out and I stopped filming. Uh, it's actually in the original Albany CrossFit 
commercial that I made with the Rocky soundtrack that those two muscle ups are actually in there with a little bit of, uh, you know, sped up a little bit, <laughs> but, but after that, you know, I, I eventually was able to achieve 30 muscle ups, but it wasn't as fast as, as some of those best guys could do. You, you should have sent in a video of your 30 muscle up attempts. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's what just it became. To just to show the heart <laughs> of going. I after. was so mad. I was like, I really thought I was going to be able to do it. And then it's like, that was a mistake doing two in a row at the time. You know, yeah. now people do 30 unbroken. The times have changed. And at your level one, you, you mentioned in this chapter that Pat Sherwood taught the muscle up. And I'm just interested. You might not, might not remember uh, how, how did they teach the muscle up at your level one? Like I know how they do it now. There's a whole progression and everything, but it seems like that would have been a, a hard thing or an awkward thing in the early days where people are still trying to get pull-ups and, and being exposed to dips on the rings. Yeah, I don't remember exactly how they did it. I, I, the only thing I remember is there wasn't like this organized muscle-up group like there is today. And I don't remember this low-ring progression. I kind of just remember, all right, your turn, hop up. <laughs> you know, and, and like, I, I vaguely remember them being like, all right, who has pull-ups go over here? Who has no pull-ups go over here? So, you know, I felt cool. I was like, yeah, I've done a muscle-up, you know. So you go over to those rings, but you're still nervous. I didn't have them. Like I wasn't confident that I had them. And I go, I had sunglasses on my head because I had long hair and would keep my hair back. And I go and do this muscle with this ginormous kip because I'm like, I got to get over these rings. And my sunglasses as I kipped flew right onto my face and like landed in the perfect position. And Pat Sherwood was like, cool guy doing muscle ups. I remember uh -huh. that. So that, that was my muscle up story. And I felt really you know, out, out of probably 60 or more people there, I was one of the five that could do muscle-ups. And I, I remember in probably, probably one of the last years that you were at Albany CrossFit when you were trying to get on staff for the gymnastics course and you were working on your strict muscle-ups. And uh, it's kind of something like we talked about earlier today with uh, trying to be a better athlete and actually putting in the time and working on it if you're not actually, you know, naturally skilled. And I remember you were working on your strict muscle-ups pretty much every day. Yeah, I'm still not great at strict muscle-ups. It's a movement that I can do them. But if you asked me to do one right now, I'd be like, I don't know. I wouldn't necessarily have the confidence. You know, they've always been a struggle. Yeah. So, you know, when I was getting on the gymnastics team, that was important. You needed to have, you know, there was like a list of movements you needed to be proficient at. And that was one of them because you're going to demo all the time. And there were times where you're the only person there. You need to be able to do everything. Yes, yeah, so I'm, I'm, that's something I still continuously work on because there's a demo at the level one and I want to, you know, always feel confident if I get uh, put on that demo that I'm going to be able to do it. So from a coaching standpoint, you know, you're trying to get on these elite coaching teams. First, what, what was your thought when you saw that list? Because that would be a pretty daunting list for most, you know, oh my gosh, strict muscle up is one of the things I, I'm required to have as a prerequisite to coaching this course. And then what was like your, your response to it on how to improve it? Well, luckily, you know, I had some good coaches to, to rely on like Chuck Bennington and Jeff Tucker to, to help me with some drills. So it wasn't that I didn't think I could do it. It was just, I knew it was going to take some hard work to get there. And eventually I was able to do, you know, the strict muscle up and the front lever, back lever, skin the cat and all those things. But it was, you know, just, okay, this is going to take some time and focus and, I, I do remember those times where you would spot me through them 
right? You'd yep. you know, push on my feet to help me. And I was, I was developing that strength and it, and it came, but it was, you know, like anyone listening, Hey, this is going to be a challenge, but you have to put the hard work in to get there. Yep. I never dropped you once. <laughs> yeah, some, some good, that is true. Some good spotting. <laughs> now uh, for someone, uh, how, how do, how does someone evaluate themselves on the continuum of simple, complex, simple, whether they're on the right side, the far side, the left side, like how, how does someone know or is able to assess where they are? I think you have to do some self-reflection. So I think that's important and, and you won't always know, but I do think a lot of the times it's, you could tell how well you are based on how well you can teach others. You know, that's really where this story was. You know, Matt came in and he was so good at everything that he gets on the rings the very first time and he was like, oh, do this. And he got a muscle up. I was like, yeah, Matt, that's right. That took me months, but you just got it, you know, accidentally. So when he was teaching Sam and it was Laura Garrison's son, Sam. Oh, okay. Right? So, so he's teaching Sam, who was like a teenage kid. One of my one-on-one -on -one clients had to do a muscle up. He was getting Sam very frustrated because he, he wasn't teaching him. He was like, just do this, get above the rings, pull, you know, similar to the level one at the time. And part of that is he didn't know any better. He didn't realize, Hey, there's a false grip involved. He just naturally did it. Like, Oh, he just assumed everybody knew that or where he should pull to. And, and part of that is back on me. Like I never taught him that, but you know, when, when, when you've not been through that struggle, you, you think it's, everyone's just going to grasp the concept super easy and you realize, wow, okay, this, there, there are some things I need to learn in order to teach this better. Now, what is something that the listener can do as like maybe a homework assignment to figure out what in, in any skill that they're trying to do, whether it maybe be coaching their business, maybe we can get a big examples and assignments for both of those things, or even an athlete to figure out where they are on something specific. So how do they choose, how do they choose something? And then what should they do? Film themselves, get a I, coach. I've, I've seen a great drill and I don't remember what it was. I think it was on making toast. Right. And so I would tell you, and, and the, the point was, Hey, write down every step to make toast. I think I, I remember this. Yeah. Right. So it's, you know, and then most people would be like, all right, grab the toast, put it in the toaster, hit the switch voila toast and you're like no if i was trying to teach this it would have to be go to the refrigerator open the door you know find the toast open the bag close the bag put the bread back in the refrigerator all those things have to happen so i would say find a task you know another good example is last night i was thinking i'm doing my wife a favor she made some chicken for us and I start cutting it up. And she's like, no, 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 you're cutting it the wrong way. <laughs> and I'm like, damn, I would eat this thing in my hand. Like, what's yeah. the right way to cut this chicken? But it's like one of those things where sometimes people just don't know. So pick a task, whether it's making toast or teaching the snatch. Like, let's try to relate it to coaching something. And, and try to write down every step along the way. You know, maybe something you can give to your coach. How to open the gym. You know, is it? It's a good one you know, show up and turn the lights on or is it show up at 15 minutes early, you know, unlock the front door. Here's where the key goes, you know, turn the lights on, turn the television, you know, all those things have to happen. Yeah. Check so, the bathrooms. Right. Is there toilet paper? You know, all of those things. So I, I would say find a task like that, that you're really skilled at, that you're really confident in or that you need to teach anyway 
going because how nice would that be if now you have that written down somewhere every time because because what's going to inevitably happen your morning coach can't show up you scramble to find your evening coach but they have never opened before well here's the list follow this step by step so i would do something like that i think that's that's good advice i think uh that'd be a a good thing to kind of go through and if people need uh any kind of help with it they could probably reach out to you yeah, I'm, I'm happy to help with all of those things. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's just really common that for most of us, we take for granted some of the things we're good at, be it a muscle up, you know, or be it, you know, making toast. And it's important that we learn how to, how to communicate that with everybody else. And, and probably, you know, th- this will go hand in hand with working on the, the skill of, of empathizing with other people. You know, like, like you have to have an understanding that like not everyone can do what you can do. Yeah, not everybody can make toast. Not everybody can cut chicken yeah. the right way. <laughs> but, you know, I have experienced some poor toast in some diners. So, you know, it does make you wonder. And, you know, and it's just, I think, again, we there's so many things that we do every day that it's like, wow, I didn't realize all these steps that it took to get there. So, you know, just especially when it comes to coaching, something like the muscle-up, it's like we, we spend 30 minutes or, or more every weekend at the level one working on it for those reasons. The more skilled... The more skills you need, the, the more steps along the way. And, you know, if, if you want to keep your clients happy, you want to prevent frustration, that's one way to go about it. Awesome. Well, Jay, uh, do you have any other thoughts overall on just the concept of simple, complex, simple, or, or anything, any other thoughts for the listener on this chapter? No, but just to wrap it up, put a bow on it. You know, Matt and I still have a great relationship to this day. Uh, we communicate pretty often. I, you know, he moved. So shortly after that, he moved down to Florida in about 2008, opened his own box. Um, still coaches to this day. He's now in California, but turned out to be one really phenomenal coach. And, and I'll just end it on one, one story about Matt. So in 2000 and must've been 2009, I was running the qualifier to the game the games, the sectionals in the Albany CrossFit parking lot. And I got to program the workouts and Matt was, you know, really making an effort to qualify. That wasn't quite what it is today. You know, there wasn't all this esteem about making it to the CrossFit games, but nevertheless, he wanted to make it. And I programmed the workouts and we did a, huh. I don't remember all of the workouts back then. I remember there was like a chest to bar workout because we bought a rig. That's the rig that's still outside in Albany CrossFit. Yeah. Um, was, so we, was it chest to bar and, and burpees? Was it something like that? Oh, no, no, no. It was thrusters. And the, the first workout was thrusters and burpees. So it was, um, I believe we went with a 10-minute AMRAP of like five thrusters at 135, 10 burpees. And Matt crushed it. Crushed that workout. But then the second workout of the day, so we had three workouts, two on Saturday, one on Sunday. The second workout of the day was a 2K row. And Matt's, he's not short, but he's not tall. He's probably about 5'7". He pulled like a six-something 2K row, which is incredible. And he literally had to be carried off the rower inside. Like, wrecked himself. And then the last workout of the weekend was 10 to 1. This is where we use the uh, rig. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 of chest-to-bar pull-ups, power cleans at 155, 105, and kettlebell swings kettlebell, at 55. Yeah. 
and Matt crushed it again. Um, and side story there, we didn't have enough kettlebells. So people brought kettlebells in, you know, local boxes and some were 55 and some were 53. And I was like, F it, put them all out there. Like it didn't matter. You know, <laughs> nowadays I would never fly. Um, but anyway, Matt wound up coming in sixth place and top five went to the CrossFit games. And, you know, he still blames me to this day for programming that 2K row. Oh man. And, and, and furthermore, just to show the evolution of CrossFit in 10th place that year, take a guess who it was. Uh, I'm going to say it was, uh, give me a second, 10th place. You're not going to guess it, it. Hold on, hold on. All right, give me three guesses. I got three guesses. 10th <laughs> place, I want to say it was Jason Kalipa. No, no, no. he was too big at the time. <laughs> James Hobart? Won James won, I believe, that year. He did? Damn it. Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. It's not what you're thinking. Okay, all right. Give it to me, give it to me. No one listening is going to know, but this name will resonate with you. Mike the Teacher. Really? Teach? Teach. So for those listening, this was just, he was literally a phys ed teacher at Colony High School. I think he still is. Yeah, he is. He comes to the gym still. Oh yeah, he comes at 3.30 every day. So point being, this was just an ordinary guy who got 10th place, like five spots away from qualifying for the CrossFit Games, you know, doing one workout a day, you know, taking his daughters out to ice cream every other day because that's the kind of dad he was, you know, and and he almost qualified so and he's wearing like i remember he's wearing like his lacrosse jersey mesh shorts like van shoes so it's just funny to see you know 11 years later to come in 10th place at a sanctional you have to be training full-time dedicated sponsors all that stuff where teach you know this awesome dude you know almost made it to the crossfit games back then accidentally he's he's still a powerhouse he's still got it yeah, he's still he's a he's a great dude. So it's it's funny to see, but yeah, I believe James Hobart and then um, Tanya Wagner, I think, also qualified. Who then went on to win the CrossFit Games in two thousand nine. Very so, cool. So it's it's cool, and I'm sure you again, you can find all those videos on YouTube. Yeah, find all the videos, and there's websites out there that have all the old workouts. Uh, not too long ago, we did a like a, a couple Sundays at the gym where we went through these three workouts so we just went through the regionals workouts for for the qualifier at the gym you just you just gave me a good idea we'll, we'll do this for the book we'll i'll come up with a new web we'll, we'll have promoted this this won't be the first time hearing it but I'll, I'll get a little web page out there and i'll find a lot of these videos that we're referring to so it's easy to find we'll link them out there we'll do a you know best hour of their day backslash you know audiobook or something so that so you guys don't have to dig through YouTube. James and I can find them for you. Yeah, that, that'll be a good idea. I like that idea. A little tour through history. Exactly. All right. Well, Jay, I think that wraps up the chapter. Uh, thanks for meeting with me today and uh, we'll see you tomorrow for the next one. Thanks again for listening to that special episode of Best Hour of Their Day. If you enjoyed, go ahead and download the book. You can check out the audio book. You can check out the paperback or even the ebook. We place the link right in the show description. So once again, thanks for listening. Have a great rest of your day.